This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. The power of 1980s pop culture. Okay, hey, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Hey! <laughs> Jazz and Dogs. It's, yeah. Hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will, and joining me, as always, is my friend, singular, and co-host, Cat. Hi, guys. Well, now I realize it sounds like I'm saying something bad against Kevin. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, Kevin. I'm setting up the fact that we are, unfortunately, we are uh, our, our good buddy, our friend, my long-running mm-hmm. partner of uh, this podcast, Ray, will no longer be joining the show. Mm. He's still alive. He's still in good health, asterisk. Uh, mm-hmm. However he would define that, I think he would, I think he would disagree with that even. Uh, and, and he, every, would. he would. Everything's fine. He's still my buddy. He still lives across mm-hmm. the street from me. Okay. Uh, no witness protection program or anything like that. Not to my knowledge. Right. Uh, mm. But um, no, he's decided to move on. So maybe we'll hear from him from time to time or something. He's still active on our Facebook page, thankfully. So uh, mm-hmm. if you want to chat mm-hmm. with him, you could certainly uh, say hello, say hello or hello. Hello, he won't know why, why you're saying that. <laughs> um, no, actually, that's the only thing he responds to. Start off with hello. Hello. And, then, uh, and he'll say something about trash. Yeah, he'll probably call you a trash. Like when people give you advice like that. Here's all you got to do. Just just ask him about this. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then you don't know what you're walking into. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be a good setup. Hmm. With ask Ray, you never him. know what you're walking into. Anyway. Ask him about his cholesterol. Oh. Yeah. Oh. He really likes talking about yeah. that. He loves all health-related really. things. <laughs> uh, but we're, the show is going to continue with Kat and myself, and we will be joined time to time from uh, guest co-hosts, including this gentleman right now. Uh, please welcome to the show our guest co-host today, comedian Kevin Whalen. Kevin. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Hi, Kevin. I feel like I should just say this, Kevin, just to give you some uh, cover. And this okay. is a true story. When I spoke to Kevin, I said, when you're on the show, do not be funny. So <laughs> if Kevin is not funny, that's on me, guys. He, he did say that. All right. <laughs> Now, if he, he happens to that? be funny, two things. One, I mean, I, that's kind of disrespectful because I asked him not to be funny. But mm-hmm. two, bonus. Exactly. <laughs> that's how I like to live my life. I don't tell anybody I'm a comedian or anything like that. And I just try to slip it in there. If they soon, you know, as soon as somebody knows yeah. you're a comedian, really tell me a joke. Uh, I didn't think about that. that happened, right. really? Yeah. Like, well, I just tell him I'm not on duty right now. You know, yeah. just I'm not on, I'm a comedian that's not on duty. <laughs> I would think it's like, look, uh, whatever. Look, Kat and I are, we were a full-time podcasters. This is also our day job. But if I had a different job and I did, when I do podcasting, if I was home and someone said podcast at me or interview me, I wouldn't want to do that. I don't think anybody right. would want to do their job on, on the spot like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. It's just common sense. But, you know, people, that's just their first response. Tell me a joke. Tell me a yeah. joke. You know. Well, mm-hmm. to find out a time when Kevin actually is on duty, because he is a, a funny comedian, and uh, not only does he do stand-up uh, in various places throughout the country, but he also hosts live trivia here in the Northeast Ohio area. Visit KevinTheComic.com to find out when he may be performing uh, at a time and place convenient to you. Thank you very much. Hey, on today's show, we're going to be talking about midlife crises. And I know that sounds terrible, but it's not. I promise. Mm. Because, hey, we're all in this. And it's one of those things that 
I don't know. It's kind of a trope on TV shows and films. You know, the the the, the band is, divorces his family or and buys mm-hmm. a sports car, that sort of thing. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what I've learned about it, just reading about it to talk about it today, is uh, it's there's more to it, and more of mm-hmm. us are experiencing these, even if we don't know about it. So I thought that would be interesting to talk about. And also, well, and I shouldn't say that this was Kevin's idea. So we, <laughs> I'm going to give Kevin the credit, but it sounds like I'm about to blame you. Yeah. No. So his idea, if it sucks. Yeah. Yes. I told him not to be funny. Me. So he said, let's do something about midlife crises. But no, Kevin actually, and we'll get into this, but Kevin actually brought this idea because of his own personal experience and his midlife crisis, let's say, I don't know, maybe we're, maybe we're, uh, uh, you know, what we're reeling too much. But the other aspect of it was, is that Kevin found himself relying on 80, 1980s pop culture as a way of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. the other part of this is what kind of pop culture, you know, or things from the 1980s are you used, did you use to deal with, uh, you know, sort of general challenges or trauma, and maybe a midlife crisis, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. 80s smut mags. No, I'm yeah. kidding. It was <laughs> Could be. All the way, 100%. Uh, yes, porn. No, it was I was watching <laughs> scrambled porn. <laughs> yeah, with a big satellite dish, you know. Right, right, yeah. Uh, I've got one announcement. Hey, on May 13th and 14th, I will be appearing at Ohio Fan Fest. So folks who are in the Northeast Ohio area, that's going to be in a uh, area of the state that is uh, closest to Youngstown. Um, mm-hmm. On the uh, Friday evening, May 13th, I'll be hosting 1980s trivia. So much like Woo-hoo. we do uh, once nice. a month on the 80s Ruled, our network partner's uh, Facebook page. I'll be hosting mm-hmm. it live and in person on Friday. And on Saturday, I'll be moderating some of the live panels, you know, the Q&As, the slash interviews with uh, some of the celebrity guests there, including our new friend and recent guest, Vernon Wells. Mm-hmm. There'll be some other folks there too that I'll be speaking with, but we're still, you know, locking that all down. Um, but here, here's some folks I'm interested in meeting, even if I don't get a chance to interview them. Jake the Snake Roberts. You know, yeah. legendary wrestler. I remember him from the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also mm-hmm. going to be some ton. Look, there's a lot of wrestlers who are going to be there. And I know this is a big event for folks that are fans of wrestling, but there's also going to be some contemporary wrestlers there like Kurt Angle, um, who I heard of. I've heard of him. Look, I know yeah. 80s wrestlers and then I know who Kurt Angle is. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Everybody knows Kurt Angle. That's from the Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania area for some reason. (laughs) He's not from here necessarily. It's just, I don't know where he's from, but everybody's heard, heard of, I haven't. Oh, (laughs) except for cat. Too far on the East side of Pennsylvania. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm also really excited to meet Larry Kenny because Larry does the voice of a number of my all time favorite uh, cartoon characters from the 1980s, including Lionel. Thunder. Thunder. Oh my God. Thundercats. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. You know who I hate? Snarf. Oh, God. Snarf. Snarf. Oh, boy. Let me kick that little whining red thing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and Larry snarf. I think Larry did a voice of one, of a snarf, not that snarf. Wow. I, apparently, and I don't remember this necessarily, but um, it's quite honestly, I might be getting some of the storylines mixed up with Orko from He-Man, who I also Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Wow. But uh, Larry played one of the snarfs, like one of the ancestors or one of the family members of the you know snarf that we know. But he also did uh, Bluegrass on Silverhawks, which I think is not a show that is as oh, regarded yeah. as well as it should be. I knew that was connected to Thundercats. It had the same animation, yeah. but mm-hmm. I never realized it was the same voice. Yeah, Bluegrass. And he, talk, and he talks more like a Southerner. And that's oh, yeah. He's like, I'm Bluegrass. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. All right. Anyway, I visit OhioFanFest.com for tickets, photo ops, autograph, all that types of information. Hey, once once again, hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news. About that. Hey, this week in 1980s news per, per Vanity Fair, 
Ali Sheedy returns to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of interesting in connection with what we're going to talk about today as far as midlife crises goes and what uh, we've learned about it. Because uh, Absolutely. Ali, yeah. Ali Sheedy disappeared from Hollywood for many years. And at 59 years old now, she is the star of The Breakfast Club, War Games, Short Circuit, countless other 1980s classic films. She had all but retired from acting, and now she returned, is returning. Uh, she wrote uh, in this interview, rather, she said, uh, quote, during my 50s, I just thought, hmm, I'm really going to miss acting. I love it so much. It's heartbreaking not to do it more. But I can mm-hmm. do this. I can do that. I have other things, end quote. She wasn't expecting to return to the screen. That was until she was offered this role in this new show that just that uh, came out in, I believe, January. And uh, the last episode, I think, published in March. Single Drunk Female. Uh, it's available on Freeform, and I think you can get it through Hulu as well. Um, mm-hmm. She stars as the titular's titular characters. Uh, sorry, she stars. She stars in it as the titular, <laughs> as the titular <laughs> inebriated woman's mother. Dang it! gets funny every time. Every uh, each time you say yes. titular. Well, we're gonna say it often. Can often as we can. Uh, her own relationship, her character that she plays, has its her own uh, complicated relationship with sobriety. Um, in the years since she's been on movie, movie screens, she allowed her passions to ebb and flow elsewhere. For the last decade, uh, her branches extended into teaching and editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she mm-hmm. Not only is she a professor in the theater department at the City College of New York, and I think this next thing is really cool, she's also a book editor under a pseudonym. That is cool. Mm-hmm. So there's folks out there who mm-hmm. had, their, had their books edited by this person they hired, and they didn't know it was Ali Sheedy. Oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> she said, quote, some of them know it's actually me working with them and their books and a whole bunch of them don't. That's super cool. So, yeah, and I, I guess, you know, it's interesting, again, thinking about midlife crises, which we'll talk about. Um, I don't know that she dealt with anyone, but there is this aspect that, you know, where folks, when they reach this certain period in their lives, start questioning their career paths, start trying other things. Mm-hmm. And what we'll learn, what I learned that I want to share with you guys is that sort of as you end this sort of period of, uh, you know, reflection, and this, which we refer to probably as a misnomer crisis. Well, I guess it feels like a crisis maybe at the time mm-hmm. that you may return back or appreciate with, you know, greater the things that you had been doing and had, mm-hmm. have had your, you know, mm-hmm. the friends we had all along. <laughs> right. They were always with us. They never left. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, guys? And he, man, all these people come out. We've never left. That's right. <laughs> Snarf, me too. Get out. We hate you. Fred Savage, is that you? <laughs> what? Fred, Fred Savage, Savage is just watched Princess Bride. Yeah, I just, oh. he was in there. I was like, oh, I forgot he was in there. Oh. Kevin's branching out. He's branching out. Yeah, yeah. Just, just give me a chance, man. Go with it. <laughs> Um, we also mm-hmm. learned from, yeah, speaking of Ali Sheedy, we also learned uh, another bit about the Breakfast Club that gratefully they will never reunite with one another in another film. Uh, Sheedy recently appeared on the Behind the Velvet Rope with David Yontef, Yontef podcast, I guess. I'm not familiar with it, but she said that a, that a reunion of the cast is improbable. Quote, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it. It would feel like trying to recreate something that happened no matter what the script would be. I just don't think, I don't think, I don't think it would happen. Mm-hmm. It would just feel too, ugh. <laughs> to that I say, amen, yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is for the best. It's Absolutely. refreshing it's, to hear that point of view. <laughs> yeah. It just stands alone. It's yes. Not, yeah. It's not an action adventure. It's not like an epic adventure. It's just, yeah, it is what it is and should right. be left that way. It occurs to me we got like literally, I think four, maybe five Home Alone movies, spinoffs, reboots. Mm-hmm. I know this because my daughter and I watched at least, I think, three of them. Um, and it occurs to me that 
it is kind of surprising them. We don't really see a whole lot of uh, retooling reboots of, of, of reboots of John Hughes films. I wonder if somehow, even though he's no longer with us, the estate or his contracts have it locked down. You know that it could be. Yeah. You know, or maybe people just want to respect it. Like, oh no, nope, I don't want to mess funny. with that. <laughs> Hollywood, where they can make a dime off of, you know That's another true. nickel. All right. Yeah, Ferris Bueller <laughs> is day off too. You know, Ferris Bueller takes a day off at sixty-five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> retires forever. Every day's a day off. Yeah, Ferris Bueller's retirement. There we go. <laughs> Every day's a day off. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Cameron. You know, they're going to try out the old right. cast. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, I want to say good. something yeah. about Ali Sheedy. Oh, you do? Okay. Uh, reading that article, I was yeah. feeling like, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I should have been an editor. Uh, and I'm not sure why I didn't take that path, but yeah. I'm a secret editor now. Yep. Yeah. Because I keep my eyes open for when Will makes typos <laughs> and nobody knows that I'm fixing them. <laughs> Thank you. Now they know. <laughs> now it sounds like I have terrible grammar or whatever. Just getting her dream out any way she can, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, hey, another 1980s news. Per American songwriter, Brian Adams explains the double meaning behind Summer of 69. And spoiler alert, y- you know what it is. Oh, I thought maybe nah, it can't be that easy. <laughs> no, you, you know, you've known since you were a kid. Remember how you joked about it when you were a kid? Yeah, you were right. Oh, wow. I I'm disappointed. didn't. This is another entry in the the continuing saga of things that I had no clue about. <laughs> maybe 80s. this was testosterone driven. Maybe that's mm. what it was back in the day. Probably. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, all right. So I guess for everybody then, Brian Adams' smash hit Summer of 69 comes from the 1984 studio album Reckless. Shortly after its release, I mean, it was a huge hit. It climbed to number five on the Billboard Hot 100 and helped push the album itself to number one on the Billboard 200 in 1985. Regarding it, uh, Brian Adams said, quote, it's a very simple song about looking back on the summertime and making love. For me, the 69 was a metaphor for making love, not about the year, end quote. Ah. (laughs) So, Kat, um, Mm -hmm. are you saying that when you were younger, you never mm-hmm. joked about 69 generally that that wasn't I, associated with, you didn't know about the, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember when I became aware. Uh, yeah. Okay. Of, you mean you didn't have sketches or? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, yeah, yeah. I don't remember when I became aware of mm. that as a symbol. Okay. But at the time the song was popular, yeah. I, it didn't occur to me. He wasn't talking about the year 69. I enjoyed 60s music oh, here. Okay. I thought the song was mm-hmm. uh, an homage, you know, or sort of a him imagining yes. what it would be like because I was aware. I don't know. I did not know when he was born, Yeah, but I thought, no, like that cannot have been his heyday, right? <laughs> as a, as an, an older adolescent hmm. or a young adult, 69. That's a good question. I don't know. We got to do some math now, right? And figure out well, how he was Brian. born in 59. Okay. All right. So 10 years old. You're right. Wait a second. Well, that could have been a great summer. I mean, childhood summer, you know. Oh, now we're going to have to look at the lyrics. Yeah, you're right. It does seem like he's singing about being an old, an older person starting a band, starting his life off. Yes. And I, yeah, I looked at the lyrics and it's about, you know, standing on the mama's, your mama's yeah. porch and we were going to stay together forever. That's, you know, 10, this is not yeah. 10 year old stuff. Yeah. Oh. And so, and you know, Woodstock was the summer of 69. Like mm-hmm. I just, it never occurred to me. Oh, it wasn't reason. about. That's fair. <laughs> I think that's cool. Right. Summer of love. Yes. Summer of love. Whatever. Yeah. That happened 
to yeah hmm, is that the origin okay well anyway um yeah it there you go. <laughs> I, I get it. So, yeah. So you guys reminded me that, you know, as kids talking about like, what does this mean? What is this reference? Does anybody know what this is yet? Does anybody know what sex mm-hmm. is? I mm-hmm. remember now someone saying like, what is a 69? And someone explaining what it means. We're mm-hmm. not going to explain it here. You can Google it. <laughs> but I will say this. I remember me or a friend saying, all right, after explaining to like, why 69? I was like, all right, well, here's a six. Here's a nine. Mm-hmm. You see how this works out this way and this. Oh, and then like oh, like the friend right. group that was gathered to learn this information, all these light bulbs were off. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Adams goes on to explain. He didn't, you know, he, he had no idea this would be a huge hit. Originally, the song had been called The Best Days of My Life. Um, but mm-hmm. at one point during the demo, he says, quote, I just threw in the lyric, it was the summer of 69 and it stuck. Wow. So. So yeah, Ken, I don't know that he intended for us to know or was literally right. meaning that, but you know, I mean, I guess the origin of it at least was him using it as his code for that. Cause he probably didn't have sex at 10 either. I, yeah. like He played that guitar until his fingers bled. Who knows? I don't know. Yes. Did he really? I question everything about him. He's a goddamn liar. And speaking of that, I thought this was funny because he also revealed that in connection with, you know, it being a song about potentially about, you know, uh, or at least the phrase summer of 69 referring to making love as he says, he said, quote, I had someone in Spain ask me once why I wrote the first line. I had my real, my first real sex dream. <laughs> he said, I had to laugh. <laughs> of course, you know, guys know what the correct mm-hmm. lyrics are. Well, my oh, first yeah. sex dream? I can sing it. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah, got my first real six yeah. string. <laughs> you know, which got me thinking that once again, it's time to play. I beg your pardon. What did you say? <laughs> so, you know, I was thinking about all these songs that people just get the lyrics wrong. Oh, yes. awesome. So great. I've got 10, uh, according to the internet, folks really think these are the r- lyrics. I-, I can't believe a single one of these, uh-huh. I think. But we'll just uh, assume that uh, the internet's not lying to us like Brian Adams. <laughs> So I, I, we could probably just, we can go back to back and forth. You guys can work together on these. I would, let's try going back okay. and forth, right? So I'll give you the misheard okay. lyric. If you okay. can tell me the correct lyric, mm-hmm. many of these are going to be real easy. And tell me what mm-hmm. song it came from, okay? Okay. All right, here All right. we go. Uh, just to go down the list here. And these, most of these came from a, a list on stacker.com, but there were a few others I picked up on some other uh, websites as well. Look at Kevin. He's meditating. <laughs> <laughs> deep in thought. Focus. All right. The first one, we'll give it to Kevin since he's our guest Thanks. cat, okay? Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Make him go. Here's first. the misheard lyric. We built this city on sausage rolls. <laughs> we built this city on rock and roll. And that's Starship. We built this city. That's right. Excellent. All right, Kat, here's one for you. The misheard lyric is I feel like it's hard not to sing these. You can sing. Go uh, ahead. A year has passed since I broke my nose. Oh yes. What? Yes. Really? Oh man! Do it again. A year has passed since I broke my nose. Oh, she oh, oh! Wait, um, it's um, oh, oh, oh. coming to her. I, I'm gonna need like a minute here. Oh. Um, oh my gosh! I can hear I'm gonna the edit voice. Out the I don't worry about it. <laughs> can I five? <laughs> I'll edit out. I'm gonna hit pause right I now. I can hear the voice mm-hmm. in my head. See, it's a good thing that you sang it because I think that really helped her out. Yes. Okay. Kevin, you know what it is? A year has passed since I wrote my note. (gasps) The song is uh, Message in a Bottle, The Police. That's right! Oh, no, that's so embarrassing. Message in a Bottle. 
I can hear Sting whining in my head, but I can't. Oh, my gosh. All right. This, this next one's for Kevin, technically. All right. Here's the misheard uh, lyric. I think Kevin's getting all these. He wants to catch because he's the guest. You know, it's really yeah. <laughs> Like a virgin touched for the 31st time. <laughs> for the very first time. That's right. That's the yeah. Madonna virgin. That's the Madonna yes. virgin that's, that's been right. touched for the first time. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I looked up this one. I know this next one, Cat. I know how to sing. I know what the song is, but I can't remember how the melody wow. of this part goes. Your singing didn't help, but go ahead and try it. Anyway. Oh, 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 okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I remember. Same. All right, okay, all right, okay. You ready? Here it is. Oh, I'm so ready. Yeah, I, I might not get this right. It's gonna be hard to. Even Dallas games people play. I'm singing in the same key as that there, so I'll try to. Even Dallas games people play, uh, and then they go right into the chorus. Our Hour? What? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Kevin, do you have a guess? I have no idea. I have no idea. Wait a minute. Wow. For in the inland jealous games people oh. play. Our lips are sealed. Oh my god. I'm sorry, guys. That's no, it's my singing. I, I blame my singing. Wow. Totally. No, no, even totally without the singing. I... Kevin, I'm wondering if you know this misheard lyric in the song. It comes comes from <laughs> I travel the world in generic jeans. <laughs> In the seven seas. That is the arrhythmics. Sweet dreams are made of these. Nice. Pull that one out of the dusty corner of the memory. Okay, here we go. I think this is all right, Kat. This next one's for you. I'm trying to think of I know these songs. But I've got too many in my head now. Okay. Okay. No. Let me say. (laughs) No one wants to beat up Eden. Oh, oh, it's beat it. Yeah, <laughs> but no one wants to be defeated. That's right. Yeah, it gets cold reheated. Right. Is that the Weird Al version? Mm-hmm. Eat it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. eat there it. You go. Yeah. This is another one. Oh, boy. Oh. Okay. So all right. Curious. Yeah, you got it. All right. All right. I can sing okay. this one. All right. Here you okay. go. Ready? All right. Uh, mm-hmm. Next one's for Kevin, right? Okay. Here you go, Kevin. Yes. Here's your clue. Um, <laughs> take your pants down. And make it happen. This is not a clue. This is what you're singing this to me, aren't you? <laughs> Welcome to the show. You wanted to be on the show, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. You want some more airtime? Right. Then you know you do my lyrics. Um, one more time. Take your pants down and make it happen. Oh, Kat, I think Kat knows it. I don't. You're going to have to. Oh, I'm so I sorry. don't know this one. This is all yours. I'll help you out. Go for Take it. your passion, yeah. right? Is it yes, passion? Yes, yes. And make it happen. It's flash dance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. This one's for you, Cat. Might as well face it. You're a dick with a glove. <laughs> <laughs> this is the internet says. This is what they like think. That. I'm going to do the dance for it first. Okay. Yes. You know, I'll be one of the I think girls. You call it a dance, yes. With the guitars, well, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Might as well face it. You're addicted to love. That's right. <laughs> Robert Palmer. Oh, Robert Palmer. <laughs> Kevin, this one's for you. Take me down to a very nice city. Paradise City, Guns N' Roses. That's right. <laughs> I mean, come on. Do people really Ooh. think that? I don't I don't know. I mean, those, some of those lyrics, I mean, you know, like um, Rocket Man, you know, and some yep. of these ones that oh. Elton John used to mumble things. I okay. understand that. Yes, I mean. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's somebody. I do believe that there's somebody that got all of those wrong. Yep. I, oh, just I believe it too. The world. Yeah. All right, this last one's for you, Kat. Here we go. Uh, 
It doesn't make a difference if we're naked or not. <gasps> you really think it's that? <laughs> no. It doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. <laughs> make it. Make it make or it. not. That's we got each other. And that's all I love. I'm going to assume you know the song. Yes, yes. Yes. Actually, my friends, my sister and my friend and I, no. we used to sing that um, in opera. Like we had an opera <laughs> version. <laughs> you know what you just opened yourself up to, Kat? Come yeah. On. Yeah. You're going to have to deliver the goods. Wait, what? What? That you got to do it now. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are the kind of things you probably do in the car when you're driving alone, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I'll do it for for our patrons. I'll do it for Patreon because <laughs> right. I have to sit there all by myself with nobody around. Yeah, record dark in the dark. In the darkness. <laughs> in the dark. Kevin Seller or uh, Crossbase. <laughs> yeah, get the Crossbase. I need a Crossbase for that one. <laughs> we'll crawl into some space. Yes. Okay. Hey, another 1980s news per Comic Book Resources. The original ending of Empire Strikes Back was much darker. Uh, so even after 11 live action movies and an ever growing list of shows, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back is among my favorite. It's not still mm-hmm. maybe my absolute favorite, but it's, it's got some competition in some of the new ones, but pretty much the rest. I mean, look, four, episode four and six. All right. My order is probably three, four, six. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. four, five, four, Wait, let's what? five, four, six, <laughs> maybe four, five, six. Yeah, I'm with you there. But mm-hmm. I think Rogue One's really good. So, uh, you know, I don't know. But um, at the end of Empire Strikes Back, for those who don't remember, who are not super Star Wars nerds like us, the Rebel Alliance flees from the Empire. Luke loses his hand and gains a father. Uh, <laughs> and Han Solo is not only frozen in, in carbonite, but he's also taken away by Boba Fett, presumably to be killed by Jabba the Hutt to pay his uh, debt. Um, however, despite these losses, it, the film ends on a more upbeat note because we see Lando, Lando set off to find Han, now flying mm-hmm. the Millennium Falcon, while Luke, Luke gets a new appendage, and uh, Leia <laughs> and the rest of the crew uh, regain their strength in a medical bay as a hopeful uh, John Williams leitmotif plays. <laughs> and while this is still, you know, one of the darker movies in the franchise, with one of the darkest endings in the franchise, The Empire was originally going to have a much sadder ending. Uh, mm-hmm. Two Twitter users recently uh, discussed Empire Strikes Back, uh, Back's closing moment with one tagging Mark Hamill on a tweet, asking the Luke Skywalker actor, mm-hmm. quote, Mark, did you guys reshoot the medical base scene at the end of Empire after principal photography had already wrapped? And wanted you know it, Hamill replied, quote, filmed four months after we wrapped principal photography on Empire Strikes Back. It wasn't a reshoot. It was an added scene. Concerned hmm. about the den- be- dead downbeat ending and the deadbeat dad that the theater <laughs> was that's my own editorial and throw defeat of the protagonists they wanted to add an uplifting moment of hope and rejuvenation to reassure the audience end quote so this means wow. that um originally you were just going to see the falcon pick up luke who you remember he's dangling from that i don't remember mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be some kind of array an antenna yeah, yeah. an antenna on the bottom at some yep. point, at some point in my life, I knew what it was really supposed to be. You know, I what it was. <laughs> a weather vane or something. I, yeah, I right. It is like that. My son used to to say, uh, "He's hanging from the wire." <laughs> the wire, yeah. The yes. last place he could hang from. <laughs> yes. Um, and then you know that's it. Movie ends. Credits roll. But um, wow. I don't know. That sounds very eighties that they changed it. You know. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 Good point. 
Were you, do you guys remember when you saw the film at first, were you bummed out by how it ended? I was. I remember feeling, I was still young enough to not maybe have processed every single detail okay. that happened in the movie, yeah. but I do remember feeling anxious and like what just happened, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just trying to figure it all out. So I think I appreciated the bit of hopefulness at the end myself, yeah. a little lightness there. I don't necessarily think it would have made it better to make it darker. I was fine with that little bit of hope. At the yeah, end. they seemed like they were already defeated and they were just kind of cleaning up, you know? It's just yeah. like, well, let's see what we do from here. It didn't seem like it was real uplifting, you know? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was already enough of a cliffhanger feel to yeah. it that, yeah, it, the cliffhanging was still happening <laughs> or wire hanging or anything. Yeah, 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 literal cliffhanger. Yes. <laughs> you know, now folks today credit Empire, they often use it, you know, even just as a shorthand for in the second of three films, the second one ends on a down note with the protagonist having been defeated and the third film, they are triumphant, you know, uh-huh. but I, maybe we didn't have that many trilogies or, you know, prior to empire, but I'm sure this mm-hmm. is even an old, I would think this is kind of tropey, maybe even going back to, you know, ancient uh, poets or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about, you know, theater, uh, ancient theater. Play, that, yeah. yeah so in the strict, in the, I did is up, down, up, but, um, right. My husband says that about our son's volleyball games. He says, oh, <laughs> this man, is Empire? Their second one is always the Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. It's a good match or whatever. Yeah. Shorthand in the, in, yeah. Did our vernacular, yeah, our walking lunch. Yep. Uh, speaking of protagonists, though, being defeated, as Mark Hamill described it there, per Slash Film and another 1980s news, if you ask the writer of Die Hard, Bruce Willis was never the protagonist. Or I should say John McClane was never the protagonist. Bruce Willis is the protagonist of our hearts. Uh, So uh, in a, why why did I write this? What was this? I'm trying to remember. Why why did I write this sentence? Let's hear it. Uh, In a Sisyphean quest to sate the internet's unquenchable hunger slash film for some reason unearthed a 2015 interview from a screenwriter, Stephen D'Souza. Cat. Do you remember who Stephen D'Souza is? Crap. Oh my God. Anyway, he did this Um, interview with Creative Writing. Listeners of our show and some of the co-hosts will recall that we discussed D'Souza when we fleshed out the largest cinematic shared (gasps) universe. That's right. D'Souza was responsible for a number of these different films, and he created a a, a fake country that was used even on other properties that he had nothing to do with. That was him? Wow. He's the one Stephen who D'Souza. did that. Yep. Yeah, Among yeah. his, okay. the things he wrote mm-hmm. were Commando. Commando, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Die Hard. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of an expert on crafting action films, even though one of the things he, he believes is that there's no such thing as that genre uh, of action mm. film. And he actually has some pretty good points because he says all films have action. So we can't just say an action film has action because it just sort of swallows everything up. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I might agree with that, but we're not going to argue about that now. Oh, we are? Okay. We are. We don't have to argue about that, but I have feelings about that. Okay. Well, you know, feelings. Next episode to be continued. <laughs> but uh, per D'Souza, uh, quote, uh, if you're writing the kind of pictures I do and you find that you're stuck, it may be because you're spending too much time in the head of your hero. If you're doing that, it's because you may have the mistaken impression that the hero of your story is the protagonist. End quote. Mm. Um, so protagonist, look, I, I should probably have a definition in front of me, you know, of the, the word, but oh, maybe Kat does. But <laughs> I'm about we're, ta- we're taught in school that it's at least the uh, what main subject or focus, the star of the piece, so to speak. Right. Um, 
so the in leading that, character yep, okay or one of the one of the major characters in a drama movie novel or other fictional text so okay just, so maybe that, that's the, the simplest definition there so maybe he's on firm footing there. He takes his definition a little further, uh, continuing saying, a quote, if you're doing genre, the protagonist is the villain. Who's the protagonist of Die Hard? It's Hans Gruber, who plans the robbery. If he had not planned the robbery and put it together, Bruce Willis would have just gone to the party and reconciled or not with his wife. You should sometimes think about looking at your movie through the point of view of the villain who is really driving the narrative, end quote. But, you know, I was kind of thinking and thinking about even about Empire Strikes Back. Well, now that I say this, I'm going to say this anyway, but so we can, mm. you can hear what my thoughts are. I was going to say, well, that means that Darth Vader is the protagonist of all the, certainly four, five, and six. But I guess Ooh, Lucas would right. say that because he said it was, we were following him back in one. He, he wanted it to be Vader's story. So maybe that even holds up there. Hmm. So yeah. I, I thought of that too, because I was going to say, that's like saying Darth Vader is the, oh, yeah. <laughs> protagonist, right? And in so many ways, well, yeah. he is how much would luke have gotten involved had the plans not have been stolen the droids didn't go to tatooine and so on and so forth right Right. yeah but die hard here's my okay so this is an interesting take on it i think but it doesn't really work for me (laughs) because like yes the hans gruber character is the one who's making things happen you know he made a decision to you know you know do what he did you know hold hostages and um but the main, he, he's creating the problem that John McClane has to solve or figure right. out. Okay. So I feel like that's pretty important to be the one to resolve the crisis. That's kind of a well, big deal. But counterpoint from Hans Gruber's perspective, Uh-oh. John McClane <laughs> is the problem. Right. His goal is to steal yes. that money. And John McClane, as he says, is the monkey in the wrench or whatever that line is from Die Hard. Poison pill, right? Or something like yeah, that. It's like, oh. I'm the, the fly in the ointment, mm-hmm. the monkey in the mm-hmm. wrench, something mm-hmm. the other, whatever. Um, All right. Well, we have I, a point there. Yeah, I, <laughs> I take what you're meaning. That was my first reaction, too. Yeah, it's probably just a matter of how you want to write it. I mean, if that's um, how, he, how he has it in mind, who's the protagonist, and that's yeah. how he writes it. But how mm-hmm. we see it might be completely different. Good point. Yeah. So if it helps him write, that's great because clearly he's good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess yeah. you're right. And I guess that's what he's suggesting too, as a, even as a writing exercise. If you find you're stuck, you're thinking about the mm-hmm. wrong person as far as who's driving the story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe that's why I can't write a story all the way to, to the end. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, I, I did this one uh, thing. I went to New York City and there was this open mic there where they would critique your set and then you would perform, you know, like an hour later. And so, all right, so I showed up early and I did my set. And, um, you know, the guy's named Steve Hostetter. He's a good comedian. He's, you know, all over the place. And it was his club at the time. And he gave me some really good insight. He goes, all right, in that joke, what about instead of you saw it, you know, uh, somebody else saw it? What would they think seeing there's something like that? And he just changed the perspective of the joke. And I went, oh. Okay. So it just gave me another way to run it through the ringer every time I think of something. It's like, well, let's look at a different perspective, you know? Right oh, on. Hmm. Very cool. Shoot, let me change this. All right, hey, that was 1980s new news. Yes, it was. Hello, this is Lafayette. And I'm Carlos from Nerds Talking the Podcast. That's right. Where we talk about everything from UFOs, yep. comic books, like movies, uh-huh. streaming services, yeah. conspiracy theories, oh. ghosts, mm. video games, yeah. and more. Kick-ass. All on Nerds Talking the Podcast. 
You can find us every Friday with new episodes on all digital platforms where you find your favorite podcast, Nerds Talking, the podcast. Now back to the show. Hey, if you like the show, and you do because Kevin's here, please like it on Facebook. Sweet. That'd be awesome. Or follow us mm-hmm. on Facebook. Share us on Facebook. Tell a friend. Get him to listen, please. Understand. <laughs> For every person that downloads, uh, we're grateful. There you go. I want to you're going to come up with a false promise. Yes. We will donate oh. or massage or something. Yeah, I don't yes. Know. Right. I, I keep trying to give away stuff from my basement. We could do that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'll mail you a treasure. Trying to, try to think of like, all right, we don't want to really commit to anything on the show now or someone's going to sue us for we. You're going to get that back rub you promised me. <laughs> oh, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Oh, a lot of back rubs. My hands. You've ever just, worked retailer? Reflexology. <laughs> yeah. All right, our next caller, number three hundred thirty-six. <laughs> Straighten out my fingers. Up next, hey, like we mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking about uh, whether what a midlife crisis is, whether we went through them, and maybe how we dealt with it, falling back on our beloved nineteen eighties pop culture, and we're going to be sharing some of the comments that you guys made with regard to what 1980s pop culture you rely on when you're going through a tough time or just need a little pick-me-up. I know I have some. So, uh, like I mentioned, uh, Kevin first had thought of this idea of something interesting to talk about in the pop culture as a fellow 80s kid, and uh, and it started, Kevin, because you said you actually went through what you, I think you described it as a midlife crisis, right? Is that right? Yeah, I guess I'd call it that. I mean, at the time, I didn't know what it was. Yep. I'd call it just depression or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is probably about five years ago. I was maybe 41, 42. Yep. Um, you know, and uh, I don't know where it came from or whatever. And now, you know, I was looking up the dark side of nostalgia, according to psychology today. And it says when we're experiencing a negative effect, especially loneliness, social exclusion, and feelings of meaninglessness, that's usually when we start going through a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. They said, but the good part is that usually means there's something better coming around the other side. We just, you know, we need to deal with this and then get some perspective. There's that word again. And then boom, you know, we pivot and can go Mm -hmm. from there. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't know what it was. I think it was, I was going through a period where I wasn't doing a lot of stand up, mm-hmm. and uh, that gets me down big time. Mm. Yeah, just COVID, you know. I mean, this is, I think it was before COVID, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, so it was just a, it was a, a lot of things at once. I was working a corporate job that I hated, but I, you know, had to keep sticking it out. And the kids were in daycare, and I felt guilty about it. It was just piles of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I just started staying up late and oh. listening to old music that I liked when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I started just watching old movies again. And I look forward to it every night when everybody was asleep. I got oh. everybody taking your kids are in bed. It's like, all right, I'm going to go get my robe on and yep. go downstairs. <laughs> and just, all the lights are out. You know, I just, yeah. I felt like my grandfather with that just ashtray, you know, and just and watching. <laughs> right. This is the TV is lighting up the room. Games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the man cave, the garage. You know? <laughs> but that's what I was doing. And, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it it, it just uh, made me feel better. I came out of it. I don't even know if it was a crisis. It was more like a midlife analysis. Okay. It's like, all right, mm-hmm. am I doing what I want to be doing? Where do I want to go from here? And that sort of thing. Just the questions you ask yourself, because now you're saying, all right, a lot of my life is over. Yep. All that youthful exuberance that I had in my 20s, mm-hmm. that drive is gone. Mm-hmm. How do I rally and go from here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How long did this yeah. uh, period last? Uh, I'll say about three months, maybe, okay. you know. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it wasn't, uh, I, I can't remember it being like a hardcore down depression because I always, you know, if you're a creative person, you always have downtime. Sure. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you just know you're going to come out of it. You mm-hmm. know, I don't take anything for it. It's like, all right, I know I'm going to come back from this. I'm just down right now, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, so you had some faith <laughs> there, some trust that it was. Yeah, I had to go to my friends. Mm-hmm. And when you yeah. listen to music, you said, did you, and I know maybe you were joking this, you know, you sort of, folks who can't see you or just, you almost, uh, for subconsciously or just for the laugh was like, you know, closing in, you know, you were sort of drawing the curtain sort of, you know, over yeah. your sort of, you know, a hood or a blanket mm-hmm. over yourself. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to music that um, maybe enhanced and played into these feelings of, you know, sort of sad- sadness or did you play songs that were antithetical to try to lift your spirits up? No, you know, it was nothing uh, that, so to speak, like, you know, back in my 20s when I felt depression, it was always some drinking and playing the sad songs Mm -hmm. to amp the feeling of feeling sorry for myself, you know, but I'm past that now. I've grown past that. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now it was just, I just wanted to hear, you know, the first album I ever bought again. I want to hear, you know, what I used to listen to on a bike ride on my Walkman. I wanted to hear, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what I started playing. And to see, you know, some of the stuff I hadn't listened to in years, like, you know, bands I don't even like anymore, Bon Jovi. Let me listen to New Jersey again, you know, <laughs> just, to, just to run that through the ringer. I'm from New Jersey. Watch it, mister. Yeah, me too. Well, that was a good film, you know. <laughs> I think I stopped liking him around 90, like around 1990. Yeah, yeah, I stopped listening to any music around then too, so. <laughs> Did you, what was the first album that you bought? Uh, it was Van Halen 1984. Oh, my Nice. Yeah. Gosh, such a good one. I loved it. I thought they were just cool. I thought everything on that. I played that thing to death until yeah. that tape wore out. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you were really jumping back. This was definitely like a nostalgia, jump back to your yeah. youth feeling uh, activity. Yeah. yeah. It's very strange. I didn't quite make sense of it at the time. You know, it's like, I just went with it and, uh, you know, it's like, I don't know why I'm enjoying all these movies, but I'm learning this music and everything else, but I'm going to keep writing this out. I'm enjoying it every night, you know, and it's something to look forward to awesome. at the end of a, a long day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Eventually it got me out of that funk. Do you find mm-hmm. yourself still returning to this, uh, you know, nighttime ritual occasionally? Occasionally. Yeah. I, I just, what it really comes down to is, you know, you got to have alone time. Yep. Everybody oh, needs sure. time to themselves. I need a lot of it, unfortunately. <laughs> so I end up borrowing from my sleep. I'm a father of three. I'm married. I've got three jobs, yep. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so I end up staying up to one o'clock in the morning, getting my five hours sleep because oh. I need that time. I, so I can identify, about, you know, maybe every other night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, yeah, it does seem like the older you get, the well, it makes sense, I guess, the more aware you become of how uh, little time you have to get things done. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing, too. It's like, I don't, I can't sit down and play a video game for more than 15, 20 minutes because I'm, my voice in my head goes, Hey, you haven't finished your book yet. Oh, hey, you gotta, you know. Okay. That's tough. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that comes along with being a creative person are these sort of, uh, I don't say demons, but these sort of, yeah, these voices that you have that uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, doesn't allow you to enjoy your yes, downtime. Right. Right. They should be doing this. should be creating. Yes. Right. Yeah, they should, should. Oh. I learned some interesting things uh, about, like I said, about uh, midlife crises, we'll call it. You know, again, for lack of a better word, a crisis may be stro- too strong for folks uh, that maybe had a shorter period of time or, or maybe not... Uh, you know, uh, as emotionally uh, maybe troubling or challenging period of time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think probably looking at this, more folks have some sort of experience like this. It may not, you know, characterize it as midlife crisis or understand like Kevin was saying, what was necessarily going on. 
Um, but some interesting things, I suppose, uh, was that although there's little research identifying how long it lasts, that anecdotally, uh, I found some comments o- online that suggest, and again, from some various medical quote experts or real experts, I, I say quote because I don't, I think I was able to avoid any sort of uh, sites that were just people just putting their opinions and was backed by some psychologist or medical mm-hmm. research. Um, mm-hmm. But that in men, it lasts often between three to 10 years. Wow. And in women, two to five years. And some folks speculate it's different, maybe women, because of hormones. They have less testosterone, which some folks think maybe be tied to the experiences that we have in these midlife crises. Mm -hmm. And also they were tying it also to uh, menopause, which I don't know. I couldn't really understand it, but they were saying something about, uh, anyway, but menopause may take up a a part of that time. So they may... <laughs> may not have time to be feeling bad about these things because you're dealing with this other pressing, sure, pressing midlife crisis right in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> pressing matter. Yeah. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> it's distracting to have a hot flash. <laughs> <laughs> what was I feeling bad about? I got to deal with this. Yeah. Um, often it happens between the ages of 40 and 60 years old, um, but folks, some have it earlier than that. And there's a number of different experiences you have, but um, some of them on this list of things are feeling sad or, or some of these that may be a sign you're having midlife crisis. And look, we're not medical doctors. Some of these things align with like Kevin was suggesting, maybe depression. So you really mm-hmm. should you know, speak with someone if you're having these and having any concerns about uh, what's going on for you, but feeling sad or lacking mm-hmm. confidence, even after a big event or accomplishment or milestone, suddenly there's no meaning in these things, you know? And mm-hmm. I read oftentimes mm-hmm. folks who actually peaked you know, achieved peak success, still had this experience and thought, well, what haven't I yes. done? Wow. You know? so, yeah. Wow. So Kevin, you could be- Most people are chasing something, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about those who've already achieved it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. But among these are also feelings of nostalgia, uh, excessively thinking about the past. I don't know that I mm-hmm. excessively do it, but uh, feelings <laughs> of regret, constantly comparing yourself to others. Uh, mm-hmm. And several other things. What I thought was super interesting, in addition to this idea of p- taking a period of time, is that uh, over the last several decades, or certainly you know two or three decades, they've done a number of. Uh, there, there became an area of science where they're measuring people's happiness throughout the mm-hmm. world and in different countries, and they were life satisfaction. And what they learned is that there was a recurring pattern, regardless of the how you looked at the data. There was a mm-hmm. U-shaped uh, pattern that formed where folks were happier. Um, sort of, you know, I think it was around there. 20s or so, uh, mm-hmm. and the happiness would bottom out somewhere in the 40s or early 50s, and then in the very last, then in the next phase of your life, 60s, 70s, you would get your happiness would increase. Mm-hmm. Some describing that your 70s being the happiest time of your life. Um, of course, wow. this doesn't account for declining health. You know, any issues you might have there that might take away from that, but loss of bowel control. Yeah. So on and so I'm so yeah. happy. Yeah. I shit my pants. <laughs> And no one yeah. cares because I'm I have the freedom now to go to the bathroom wherever I want. With joy. <laughs> and oh, joy. Else can deal with I don't it. know why I became Edwin all of a sudden. <laughs> um, but, but here's a really crazy thing, too, is they tried to say, well, look, it's because of society, right? What's happening? In 20s, you're free. 40s and 50s, you got mm-hmm. a mortgage and you got to pay for college for your kids. 70s, you're retired. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what is mm-hmm. really crazy is they also identified these same patterns in animals. In particular, hmm, in those really? that we share some, you know, genetic sort of, you know, commonality, mm-hmm. I suppose. Chimpanzees, they measured, also had a similar life satisfaction wow. sort of U-shaped curve. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, mm. That's without careers and mortgages. Exactly. And, 
car payments right. and mm-hmm. lower back pain while they yeah, might well, Yes, right. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, they need a massage. <laughs> so they're trying to figure out, like, why would this be? Uh, and it may be just, you know, we don't necessarily, we don't have all the answers yet, but we do know, obviously, like I said, it's not uniquely human. Mm-hmm. So it may just be biology. Um, but as far as explaining why we get happier after this sort of period of, you know, questioning our life decisions and regrets, even as we get older, some, some folks are suggesting that maybe a couple of things. One, you know, you have less time. So your perspective, again, like everyone was saying, mm-hmm. we've perspective a lot now, changes yes. and you start to appreciate more what you have and stop worrying less about what you don't have. There's a recalibration mm-hmm. that happens during this time period. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't worry about what your neighbor has and focus more on, uh, you know, sort of your life, the quality of your own life. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought Absolutely. this was interesting. They said, uh, one of the papers I read said that you, you stop, well, it's sort of similar to what I said, but um a little bit different saying you begin to value your lives less in terms of social competition and more in terms of social connectedness. Yeah. So relationships yeah. become more important, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. than stuff. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing, the last point I'll make about this is that, that I thought was interesting was they said, some folks are suggesting that the, another reason why, and this is sort of connected to this idea, would we become happier when we're older and even explaining these way where we're able to have these different perspectives is just plain old wisdom. That generally speaking, the older you get, the wiser you get. And in other cultures, not so much in the United States as in, let's say, India or like, you know, Latin American countries, you really value the old folks for their wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and a lot of these communities, you know, live together and said, you know, grandparents are a part of the household, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a little, it's a little maybe easier to observe that kind of idea. But right. um Anyway, I guess all that said is, you know, we have something to look forward to in that regard. <laughs> yeah, happiness just uh, just twenty years away. Kat, did you uh, have a midlife crisis? I don't or think so. Like that? No. <laughs> I I kind of feel like I subconsciously decided at some point not to have one. <laughs> you willed yourself not to have it <laughs> because it's yeah, it sounded unpleasant. <laughs> so that's funny. I I just when I I've heard the phrase and I I know what's supposed to happen, but um. It's, it's like, no, no, I don't really think that happened. Definitely there have been times well, in the past decade where I was a little more stressed yep. than at other points in my life because of feeling overextended, volunteering with all the different things, you know, my kids were doing and feeling a little overwhelmed by lack of time for whatever I wanted to do. So maybe that's an equivalent uh, for me. Yep. So, but I, I would say this past year, in particular, I'm having sort of the opposite of a midlife crisis, oh, whatever that would my be. My life's too good. And now it's all downhill from here? I don't know. What's the no, opposite of a U-shaped? Oh. <laughs> yeah, she's peaking yeah. happiness right now. Yeah, it's I just, I, I just feel like, uh, well, part of it, okay, yeah. to, to, to bring it back around is um, this past year has been a lot of nostalgia for me going through all the stuff from the mm. house I grew up in and also um, binge listening to a certain podcast about the 1980s and then becoming involved in it. It's um, mm-hmm. It was sort of like a, a pop culture immersion that I didn't know I needed. And mm. it's it's mm. been 
really great. So like all this, and this, maybe that was it right yeah, there. Right? Oh. <laughs> maybe it was about to happen. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like all this nostalgia was, was foisted upon me. Sure. And so I'm happily circling back and rediscovering. And, and so all this youthful stuff is, mm-hmm. um, just, so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, reinforcing my sense of self in a, in a good way, mm-hmm. in a more youthful I feel way. Like we can mark, market the podcast yeah. as like a prophylactic, uh, you know, nostalgia. <laughs> Some kind of. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Seriously. I mean. Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> well, you know, yep. and I think Kat, you read this as well, right? That there are benefits, there are health benefits linked, linked to reminiscing about the old days. There absolutely are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, I read a couple of articles. Um, one of them, uh, I know you're familiar with, um, there's an internet publication called Psychologies and there's an article by Kevin McCormick called Why Memories Can Boost Your Mood. And um, basically the gist of it is that engaging in nostalgic thinking can be good for our psychological well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, there's a great quote. It says, nostalgia could be the great undiscovered asset in our emotional armory. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. But um Many uh, nostalgic reminiscences are around the theme of redemption or mastery uh, from things in our past, um, if they aren't outright joyful memories. And so um, it, it's it's just a healthy thing for us to yeah. be reconnecting to um, things that we have a strong emotional connection to, whether, whether it's an event or people or stuff, maybe, you know, like vinyl, <laughs> like your albums, yeah. you know, there's probably something about, or, or your tape of, uh, Van Halen, 1984, that it's hard to put words on, right. Uh, that, that kind of right. stuff, but it's a, a positive experience. Um, also nostalgia can be a very powerful social glue. Um, so there's that connecting oh, yeah. thing. This again, is like a, right? it's what you guys are doing right here. Yeah. It's yeah. An infomercial. <laughs> You know, and with regards to the music, you know, you just mentioned about Kevin again. I did find a study where they did music in particular, you know, they were testing nostalgia, mm-hmm. the effects of it, and how they said that music was sort of one of the fastest way to evoke these emotions for people and measure yeah. them. Um, yeah. But, and, and what they yeah. what they were able to measure was not only um, did it make people feel nostalgic hearing like music from their youth, for example, but it made them also mm-hmm. physically warmer. Mm. So you could actually be in a cold room, mm. listen to 1984 and feel warmer. That might've been a hot flash for me, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue that. (laughs) And they also said that the the people that they did in this study with the music were more likely than the control group to say they felt loved and that life was worth living. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So without knowing it, you might've, well, I mean, I I really gave yourself like a super, you know, dose of dopamine or something during that period of time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a real deep, comfort i think and you know i think it's where whatever you're feeling that leads you mm-hmm. to that music and nostalgia and movies mm-hmm. and everything you eventually regroup and go back to your life and attack it from a place mm-hmm. of strength yeah at that point, yeah know, absolutely once you go through it so i think that's all it's for it's for all right let me just shield myself here regroup and mm-hmm. go hammer it again mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely uh, no one asked me mm-hmm. if i had a midlife crisis so i'm just going to share <gasps> Will. I'm curious if you need to branches. I thought you were going to lead into it. But. I don't know if I can say I could pinpoint it to a date or a year, but I can say this. 
And mm-hmm. I've struggled. Well, I feel like I've had, I've had a midlife crisis since my twenties in a sense. It's more like an existential crisis, you know, because- <laughs> I thought you were going to say something like yeah. that. <laughs> There's a, probably in my late twenties, you know, because I was pursuing theater at first in my twenties and, you know, and all different aspects of it, writing music, acting, whatever, trying to mm-hmm. find like what's going to click in such a way that I feel like I can. And then I just gave it all up and, you know, I don't have to go into that. But I think for me that set up, sent me in some sort of crisis because I was no longer being creative. Um, mm-hmm. which it was mm-hmm. all, and I made a decision then, which is funny. Cause I remember still doing this. I made a deal with myself. Look, you're going to have a mortgage. You're going to raise your kids. When you're like 55, you'll do something fun and creative again. Okay. Cause they'll be out of the house, right. you know, be like they'll be more established as a, you know, mm-hmm. and so, uh, think gratefully, uh, you know, a few years ago, I said, all right, I got to f- figure out something to do. So I started doing some other things, but I think honestly, that period of time, it was, you could ask my wife, it was a struggle emotionally for me to. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of effort to keep myself sort of, you know, up at times because I felt mm-hmm. like I was right. going. So that 10 year pant, that period of time that I think that more aligns with what we were reading, except maybe it just shifted a little earlier than uh, most mm-hmm. other folks. And like Kat was saying, I think maybe doing this show, which it just as a, as a funny coincidence, maybe that the thing I chose mm-hmm. to do creative, which seemed like the easiest sort of low hanging fruit was a podcast because everyone was doing it. I know how to record sound. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it just happened to be the th- easiest thing to talk about was something that, you know, Ray and I were already talking about, which was eighties pop culture. So maybe uh-huh. it was prophylactic for me in that sense too, where I staved yeah. off, you know, it solved a couple of, the, it got yeah. me out like Gibbons music. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey, we asked you, well, we asked a couple of questions of our Facebook, uh, friends and followers and listeners. Uh, first one was, do you, did you have a midlife crisis? And, uh, see, Kathy says, I think mine started in 2006 and has been ongoing since. Uh, I asked her if she was serious oh, and she said, uh, she said, uh, sort of, mm-hmm. um, let's see. Lucy says, uh, I'm not sure my midlife has been a crisis or that my mm-hmm. sharp turns in my midlife have been eighties themed, but she also points out that she went to grad school at 45 and married a millennial at 46 and then points out, Hey, maybe that's her connection to an eighties cause they were born in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> and then she used her new degree to change careers at 47. So maybe. I mean, among Jeez. those things we're finding, we're questioning what, what have I done to this point? What can I do with the mm-hmm. remaining time? So yeah, yeah that- mm-hmm. and you become, uh, you know, uh, for me too. The other thing is, um, you know, doing comedy, I was faced with a lot of. I, I'm not a natural guy on stage. I'm kind of an introverted. I'm, you know, like I said, but I love making mm-hmm. people laugh. And uh, so it took a lot. To, as a lot of comedians are, and it just takes a lot to get on stage initially. But once you okay. do, you love it. Uh-huh. And it's more awkward talking to people after the show, just face to face. And um, yeah, it's very strange. It's a strange phenomenon. So basically all these hangups that you have when you're young, you know, maybe you're insecure about something or you're carrying something from middle school or high school, <laughs> whatever the heck it is. Sometimes that rides out through its twenties. And by the time you get to 40, you're like, I'm yeah. done with that crap. I don't want to worry about this stuff anymore. So you shed a bunch of stuff that was weighing you down. So now you're, well, mm-hmm. that's gone. That's gone. So now what are you going to do? Well, let's find a new career. Let's find something mm-hmm. I want to do. You know, I like that. So I think that's I like that. Happened. So, and then the other thing we asked is, okay, so you're dealing with the midlife crisis or something else. What is your 1980s pop culture go, go to? Uh, we learned uh, Kevin listened to music. For me, it's also mm-hmm. music. You know, mm-hmm. I go straight to, uh, and mostly for me, I'm listening to music that will, is o- uplifting. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you said, Kevin, I've grown out of that period oh, yeah. where I just want to wallow in my sort of sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see, on the 80s ruled, yeah. So what, what, do, what do you, you know, what kind of stuff I, did you go to? To this day still, sometimes just to get me going in the morning. I listen to a lot of dance music from the 80s because that was what I love and what I DJ oh, yeah. at the time. I'm a mm-hmm. huge hip hop fan. So 
it's either dance music or hip hop for oh, the yeah. most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, is it 80s hip hop or are we talking about 80s hip hop? That is hip hop. <laughs> then it becomes <laughs> rap at some yeah. point, like in the new 90s. <laughs> Um, folks on the 80s ruled page our network uh, sponsors uh, uh, Facebook page wrote uh, say Joseph says and this is their 80s comfort food last American virgin really that's a bummer okay I shouldn't judge oh. people's things all right okay no no fast time <laughs> and the music and the clothes and the hair I'll tell you what high school I'll tell you what high school fucking sucked okay uh, Baz wow. says the Goonies <sighs> in big trouble in little China yeah Harrison fast times breakfast club and commando oh uh, Kimberly, it's a lot about movies. Yeah. A lot of movies. A lot of, yeah, there's yeah. more movies. Kimberly, Top Gun, just because it's easy to watch and has good music. Steel Magnolias, If I Need a Good Cry, One Crazy Summer, because it's so stupid and funny. And I like seeing the Martha's Vineyards locations. I guess she's from that area. Okay. Bob Wright's Miami, Joshua, <laughs> The Cure and Joy Division. I, 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 I love both of those. I, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill writes, My 1982 Music Mix. Oh, Bill, I wish you could share that with us. Nice. <laughs> Let's see, a couple more here. Yeah. Melissa writes, The Breakfast Club, The Goonies, My Little Pony, the original one. Kids Incorporated. Oh, yeah. Facts of Life, <laughs> Tiffany, Debbie Gibson. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheryl, Duran Duran, Love My John Taylor. Whoop. There you whoop, go. Whoop, whoop. Edward posted a I gif of I love John Taylor Court. too, but Simon LeBon for me. <laughs> Oops, sorry, what? <laughs> Edward posted a gif of Night Court. Oh, the TV show yeah, yeah, yeah. and wow. so on and so forth. Thank you, everybody who responded to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, anything else to say about this? Probably not. No, let's not. Okay. That was a good discussion. <laughs> yes. Okay. Hey, once again, it's time to thank you for your cooperation. Yeah, I feel like we haven't done this in a long time. We just kind of backed up here, and I got to tell you guys, I didn't mm-hmm. realize that. You know, I guess I realized this, but I didn't. I didn't do anything about it. <laughs> Sounds awful, but <laughs> if you po- if you post a, a review of our show and you are in another country other than the U.S., we don't see it directly. Like uh-huh. we have to go through some rigmarole to find it. So I want to send a special or a thank you to Elizabeth Joan Maloney, uh, folks. You, look, oh. you may not know who, who she is, but we do because uh, yes. look, we've been chatting with her on uh, Facebook and Twitter. And mm-hmm. we first really came to know her when we learned how much of a big fan she was of Elvira mm-hmm. and how disappointed mm-hmm. she was when Cassandra Peterson first canceled. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a mix up. Oh, I was so bummed too. Uh, but then ultimately mm-hmm. rescheduled. And so uh, Elizabeth writes, why I love this podcast. First, I'm obsessed with the 80s, like the cartoons and music and etc. I love this podcast so much that I remember watching cartoons from the 80s and the 90s and loving them like Count Duckula and Teen oh. Wolf and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the 13 mm-hmm. Ghosts of Scooby-Doo and Elvira. Mm-hmm. I feel like I found a second family through the podcast. Aww. And this is the part that's going to break your heart, Kat. What? 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 I feel uh, like Will and she? Ray are my big brothers. And I'm grateful they helped me with my depression. <sighs> wow. Wow. That's so sweet. And I mean, break your heart in the sense that I'm just, uh, she invoking Ray from an older, you know, this is an older. Uh, I, I think that's oh, I thought you were saying because movie. she didn't mention Cam. Oh, no. <laughs> initially. Yeah, oh, you oh, oh. that tight. <laughs> oh, yeah. She has a postscript and cat too. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Hey. I'm a big brother too. <laughs> yes. And also, well, you were more masculine than I was on the last episode. Exactly. So there you go. <laughs> yes, and our discussion, our discussion today, and all of our discussions and episodes are brought to you by the fine folks that support us on Patreon, including mm-hmm. uh, our secret of my success level Patreon supporters: John Henderson, Greg Coletta, Bart Arnold, John Kaminsky, and 
John Reddick. Their serotonin levels are so high because not only (laughs) are they listeners, but they are supporting the the creation of something that it's like a loop. They're they're just in a, in a wonderful, um, happy loop. And you can join them yeah. by going to <laughs> patreon.com slash 1980s now. <laughs> right. And they help other people because they have this show mm-hmm. now to help. And they help us. Yes. Oh, my God. I might as well. They're helping. There's a happy loop. Help them. Help me help you. Help me help. We okay. are. Yes. We're trying. We are. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for joining okay. us today. It was an absolute pleasure yeah. speaking with you and getting to know you a little bit better. Hey, by I'm all sure. means, thank you guys very much. I enjoyed the podcast and awesome. thanks for having me. Go to kevinthecomic.com uh-huh. because Kevin not only does he uh, do uh, stand up around the country, you never know where he's going to pop up, uh, but also he does live trivia <laughs> here in the Northeast East Ohio area. Uh, and so you could uh, see Kevin live and in person at a many uh, number of different places. Check out KevinTheComic.com for more information. And with that, Mm -hmm. we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. See ya. See ya.